1: by Alex Barutha. Alex, we want to recap all the action from a a very busy Tuesday night in the NBA, uh, talk a little bit about what's been a a strangely busy news day as well. Uh, And I I feel like we have to start with the 76ers, who played tonight against Washington, a now kind of weirdly pivotal Game 5 in a series that the Sixers still very much control. They're favored by, I believe, the last number I saw was 6.5 tonight. Despite the fact that Joel Embiid has already been ruled out for this game, uh, but more concerningly, we found out earlier today that Embiid has a, quote, small tear uh, in his meniscus. Uh, again, he won't play in Game 5. I-, I would imagine he probably ends up missing Game 6 and, and perhaps a Game 7 if-, if those games come to be. Uh, but the bottom line is, s- as small as this tear may be, this is a- an extreme concern. And I-, I felt like the way that it was framed when the news broke uh, late this morning, you know, it was something that, like they're going to I think they're listening him as day to day, like. This is Joel Embiid. This is not somebody who's never had any injury concerns before. Like if, if you could pick one player in the league who you wouldn't want to have even a minor knee issue in the playoffs, it's probably Joel Embiid. So a- am I wrong to think that the way this was framed and, and maybe this is you know, just the message that the Sixers are trying to put out? But I felt like there should be more alarm bells going off.
2: Yeah, it, uh, it immediately felt like when the news broke that they went into like public relations mode <laughs> like immediately and we're like no it's only a minor meniscus tear he's day-to-day the team released an official statement that was like the injury will be managed with physical therapy and treatment it's like yeah what like what else would you do with an injury like like announce if you're not going to do anything like no he's just we're just he's just gonna sit on the couch uh he'll he'll come back when he's ready i, yeah, so I would interesting support-
1: strategy to go with treatment
2: for this injury yeah Treatment, rest, physical therapy, bold strategies by the 76ers to try to get Joel Embiid back on the court. Uh, I would be surprised if he returned to the series uh, unless there's maybe a game seven. Um, yeah, and I think I think for the rest of the playoffs, I mean, this is going to be a concern. Um, you know, I know it sounded like they're it's uh, they're they're framing it as a swelling and pain management issue. Uh, I'm not really sure if this is something that can like technically get worse not a doctor, as we've said many times in this podcast. But uh, yeah, I don't think he's coming back to this series, I'll say.
1: It feels to me a little bit like the Anthony Davis injury, where I don't think Davis ever was going to play in Game 5 last night against the Suns, and we'll talk about that one in a little bit. But the Lakers you know, allegedly had him as a game-time call, and, and there was a chance you know, up until an hour before game time that he was going to suit up. Uh, again, I don't think that was ever realistic. I, I think what you do is... You know, and there's probably, like, Embiid could probably play if he really wanted to. You know, if if this tear is that small and it's, you know, clear, like the fact that they haven't ruled him out, you know, beyond, like, just this one game implies that there's legitimate hope that he could come back. But I, I think the chance of, you know, furthering the injury is just not worth it. And, you know, the Lakers going into last night, I, I think, obviously, it didn't happen, but they felt like they could still win that game with, with a great effort from LeBron and, and a better effort from their supporting cast. Again, none of that happened. Um, But they felt like they could win that game and get by without Anthony Davis. And I I feel like that's kind of the same tone that the Sixers are striking here, where they feel like they could still close out the Wizards. And then, you know, you're looking at a multi-day break until the start of the next series when you're going to need Joel Embiid a hell of a lot more. Um, And, and, you know, there's a potential that if New York wins tonight, you know, that series with the Hawks could be extended. And then you're looking at, you know, potentially four, five, six days, best case for Philly, uh, for Embiid to rest before round two. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's going to get complicated if they lose tonight and all of a sudden game six back in Washington, um, you know, let's, let's say Philly comes out and just looks flat. They can't get anything going without MB, you know, the defense isn't the same, you know, then we're really going to see like, how bad is this injury? Because when, when they need him out there, um, you know, that that's really going to be, I think what reveals the severity because right now, you know, even if it's, whether it's a big deal or not behind the scenes, I don't think they feel like they need him for game five. Um, so the smart decision is just to hold him out. Yeah, I mean, they play like basically
2: a 500 team when he's off the court. Um, but I think, I mean, they have a way better chance of winning this game than I think either of us felt like the Lakers uh, have winning against the Suns. I mean, you know, Wizards are an easier opponent. You mentioned this game is at home for the 76ers. I think that's huge, just like it was huge for the Suns mm-hmm. uh, yesterday and their win. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I I think they should be able to win six-point favorites. I mean that's that feels kind of high to me, um, just kind of based on you know how again how they play without Embiid, but um, home court advantage matters. I don't know. I'm I'm excited to see where this goes because this yeah you know there's a chance this kind of snowballs into some chaotic Game Seven, and uh, then then it'll really be interesting to see what happens. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, that would be you know this is kind of like all of your fears as a 76ers fan. um, uh, just coming true right it's like we have a team like the, the we're the one seed and then first round and beat tears his meniscus yeah it's like you know here we go again
1: right and obviously we're not rooting for injury ever and i, w- I would prefer that a beat stay healthy they dominate this series you know, they dominate the next series and then we're set up for philly versus whoever emerges from that Nets bucks showdown in the eastern conference finals but i mean the ultimate chaos scenario is somehow you know like this ends up being bad he misses the rest of the series they blow it Washington advances to round two, the Knicks somehow come back and beat the Hawks. And one of the wizards and the Knicks is in the Eastern conference finals.
2: (laughs) Uh, Personally, that's
1: what I'll be rooting for. Yeah. I think um, I would kind of love that.
2: Uh, I don't want it to happen. Mm. I wish, I wish in another world, we could see that scenario play out, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, this kind of levels the playing field, you know, And, and I still think the Sixers are the better team. I, I, I went back and forth, you know, talking about this game on the DraftKings Show this morning, and you know, thinking about the the daily wagering article that we put up. and I, I think the wizards this, is, this in some ways, like there's an argument to be made that this kind of re-energizes them. you know, like they they were able to pull out a game four that, based on how how Washington played, you know individually, i I don't think that they necessarily played well to win well enough to win that game most times. You know, they hit thirty three free throws. That was ultimately the difference. Uh, in a game, you know, that they, they held Philly to 114. The Sixers obviously were a much different team in the second half without Embiid. But I mean, you have a game where Westbrook and Beal combined to shoot 12 of 42 from the field and two of nine from three. And you end up, you know, you win that game like that to me, it's like, okay, you know, if you're Washington, you survive that one somehow. And you're thinking, you know, we're not going to get, well, I shouldn't say that, but you're most likely not going to get that shooting performance from Westbrook. Again, he was three of 19, Beal nine of 23 you know, you would expect that both of those guys play better. So again, you hate that it's an injury that, that kind of can swing the feeling of a series, but it, it does feel like to me, this is now kind of a 50, 50 game tonight, even though it's in Philly. Well, we talked about it on, on yesterday's podcast in the trivia
2: section, right? I briefly mentioned that Embiid, had he reached the minutes threshold would be leading the postseason in net rating. Yeah. Um, when he's off the court. Uh, this postseason, the 76ers have a minus 17 point differential, like, per 100 possessions. Like, they're getting smoked when Embiid is not on the court. Uh, Like, he's as crucial to what they're doing as LeBron has been crucial to what the Lakers are doing. And again, like, the 76ers do have some weapons beside him, but he's the key to the whole thing. Like, without him on the court, you know, you're not scared of Dwight Howard in the same way that you're scared of Joel Embiid, like, it's going to make Ben Simmons job harder. It just it makes everybody's job harder on both ends of the court. Um, and again, I, I'm not saying I think Washington will win for sure, but gut feeling, I think I, maybe I am. I don't know. I I might take the I might bet on the Wizards to win if I was betting on this game.
1: One thing is certain we're going to see a, a wild Westbrook performance one way <laughs> or the other. Know. tonight. It's either going to be really good or, or really, really bad. But I, I feel like he's going to come out with. A little bit more ferocity, not having Joel Embiid there to meet him in the paint and cause him to miss 16 shots in a game. You know, I, I feel like this is maybe going to unlock something for Westbrook individually. But let's go to Portland-Denver last night, which you know, one one small victory uh, as far as the Lakers basically you know, bowing out of that game midway through the first quarter was that it allowed me to focus solely on watching the rest of Blazers-Nuggets, which uh, of course went into two overtimes on NBA TV. Um, And by the time that game wrapped up, I mean, the Lakers game was like almost a 40 point blowout, but man, this was, I I think, is it fair to say this was the best individual playoff performance you've seen? Uh, The game that came to mind was 2018 LeBron game one, you know, 50 points in a loss. Uh, This one was 55 and 10 for Dame in a loss. I, I think both those games were impressive. I would say this one was maybe, maybe more of like a wow factor where he's going 12 of 17 from three. And almost every single one of those looks down the stretch was like a 10 out of 10 degree of difficulty.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, this is up. You're right. This is up there as far as all time performances go. Um, regular season or playoffs, obviously yeah. playoffs carry more weight. I think just, I mean, the, the, the three pointers he was hitting, I don't know, man, it's it's kind of beyond words. What Lillard has been doing over the past few seasons, um, especially this year and last year, I, I don't know how you're supposed to guard him like anytime, you know, it's just one of those situations where he comes off a pick and if there's even like an inch of room, I mean, it's kind of Curry-esque, but it's, yes, it's similar and also different, but you should be basically like, there's no reason to be less scared of Damian Lillard than Steph Curry, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And this is something, you know, we've kind of talked about in this pod before where um, if you switch, you know, the kind of their careers, in terms of if you put Curry on the Trailblazers all these years and Lillard like on the Warriors all these years, um, how differently would we think of these guys, mm-hmm. stuff like that. But, um, yeah, this is one of the best performances I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, same here. I, I feel like it kind of flew out of the radar, maybe because this game was late, maybe because it was overshadowed by the Lakers getting blown out or people talking about Net Celtics or because it was just on NBA TV. But, man, like I, I think most people started seeing the like if you if you looked on Twitter around like 1030 p.m. your entire timeline is just like wow wow Dame Dame damn, Dame like just all in a row and you're like okay something's going on I need to flip this game on unfortunately it felt like by the end of the game the narrative had flipped from that was an unbelievable individual performance to Damian Lillard needs to get the hell away from Portland because <laughs> I mean you had like the, the one that really stuck out obviously was McCollum stepping on the sideline um, kind of passing up what was a semi-open three, which I, I think Lillard thought McCollum was going to shoot the three. He looks to drive, kind of takes that false step back, uh, steps out. But I mean, Nurkic was not great in this game. He he had a big and one uh, down the stretch that was a really impressive play. But once again, fouls out, 24 minutes, six fouls, six turnovers. Uh, so not a great showing overall. Robert Covington had two key missed dunks in the fourth quarter and, and another even bigger one in the second overtime. Uh, not something you see too often. And then, man, Mel- Melo had a couple big threes in this game, but he goes two of nine overall. And he-, he had two threes down the stretch where it's like, if he makes this, the Blazers probably win the game. And, and both of them just kind of rimmed out. Um, So, it, it yeah, in the end, it-, it weirdly did feel like for as, as awesome as Lillard was, it-, it felt like the narrative has swung more toward what a letdown, uh, you know, his teammates had, had kind of given him. And Lillard did not attempt a shot in the final three minutes of the second overtime, which partially speaks to how, Denver finally started doubling him essentially right when he crossed half court. Um, But, you know, at at the same time, like it was generating good looks. And I, I saw a lot of people. I'm curious to get your opinion on this. A lot of people, you know, when he's going on that run at the end of the fourth and in the first overtime are saying, like, why are you not doubling Damian Lillard? Would you have doubled him immediately? Because you have to consider the personnel Portland was throwing out there. It was it was Lillard, McCollum, Powell, Covington and Mello virtually the entire, you know, down the stretch run in, in the two overtimes. I don't know that you necessarily want to leave any of those guys wide open on the perimeter, maybe Covington. Um, but at the time, you know, Lillard had hit like five threes in a row. So it, it I, I kind of went back and forth on that. I didn't think it was that obvious that you needed to completely sell out, you know, 45 feet from the basket. No, I don't think so. I, I think you could probably go either way. I, I would understand.
2: And I think people are more likely it's kind of the anybody but him thing right at that yeah. point um but I'm okay with trying to just play him straight up I guess I mean it's just it, that's a tough call that's one of the toughest calls I think a coach could make it's you know mm-hmm. do you double this guy at the end of a game when he's this hot or do you just try to still single cover him you don't want to give up a completely wide open look to someone but at some point you're doing the math it's like well as a contested Damian Lillard you know 29 footer like does have the same likelihood of going in as a wide open Robert Covington wing three? Um, I don't know. Also, I um, I, if you're going by Basketball References game score, this was the best playoff game ever recorded by game score. Um, really? Which I think, which yeah, which I think started in the '80s, or, or we don't have numbers before the '80s on game score. The earliest game score. Re- uh, playoff game recorded was 1986 okay so i think that's uh, as far as the stats go back but it is uh it is the highest one currently um just above charles barkley in 94 mm-hmm. um against the warriors which i think we watched that game during we did. the we did do early stages watch. of the pandemic
1: yeah, yeah so if you feel like scrolling through like 100 episodes uh of, on your <laughs> podcast app to try to find that one that was that was a lot of fun to break down it was yeah it, it it's just a kind of a devastating loss for Portland, you know, to, to, to battle back. Like it felt like they, they were going to lose this game by 10 points, like three separate times. And then Lillard brought them back every single time. And then it felt like they were going to win. And, and, you know, credit to Denver. Uh, Michael Porter had a couple big threes down the stretch. I, I really didn't think this was a great Jokic game. I mean, 38, and four, the stats look awesome, but I thought he was really gassed in that first and second overtime and started settling for some like, just really objectively bad shots down the stretch that, that just weren't falling Uh, obviously made some awesome passes to set up, uh, you know, the, the backbreaking Porter three uh, that, that really kind of sealed it for Denver. But this, this felt like a very winnable game for Portland that at the same time felt like they were going to lose several times within like a 10 minute span.
2: Yeah. Jokic. uh, I mean, Jokic was, you know, he only had two turnovers, but you're right. He was, he was pretty gassed at the end. And that's kind of the thing. Like Jokic is, is in better shape than he's ever been. But double overtime, you know. I mean, he's he's already got slow feet, um, and it's especially like if he's he's doing so much work on the block. He's being pushed around all game. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, yeah. I mean, he had he had four blocks in this game still. You know. I mean, he was um, he was still great.
1: You know, I kept thinking I, I can't believe Austin Rivers is guarding Damian Lillard, and you know, Michael Porter <laughs> was on him a little bit down the stretch. The more you look at this roster, though, especially without Will Barton, it's like who else? is going to guard him, you know? And, right. and I think Denver's really lucky to be up three two because, you know, Lillard's not going to go this just insane God mode, 12 of 17 from three. Uh, that's a playoff record 12 makes, by the way, he's not going to do that every single night, but I, the way that Denver is constructed right now, and, and honestly, I don't know that having Jamal Murray would help that much in this specific respect. Like they just don't have, do they have like a single elite, guard defender? I mean, you, you have Aaron Gordon, yeah. who's a great defender of wings and, and can kind of go into the interior a little bit, but I don't know if you have a guy that you're like, we're comfortable sticking this guy on on Damian Lillard or Steph Curry or whoever it is. I mean, they have Shaq Harrison on the roster. <clears throat> like uh, he's, uh, he's there. I mean,
2: he's not, he's not going to hit threes. That's a problem, right? He's like yeah. kind of a thigh bull type where it's like, you can put him out there, but it's 25% from three. Yeah. And that's your only option. I mean, his, you know, his, his whole, um, He's only on teams because he's a potential like lockdown defender. So if, it, if this starts happening again and, you know, uh, in, in game six and Lillard has like 30 at halftime or something, I mean,
1: I, maybe you just put Shaq Harrison on him and see
2: what happens for like five minutes.
1: What's up, guys? Are you looking for a new contest to play during the 2021 NBA playoffs? If so, try Fantasy Five's new free to play NBA contest. It's simple. All you have to do is pick one player to beat their fantasy point target from each of the five games. If all your picks are correct, you can win a share of the $5,000 jackpot. Other guaranteed prizes are also available if you finish atop the weekly leaderboard, including an official NBA kit. Make the NBA postseason more interesting. Go to fantasy5.com today. That's fantasy5.com to enter your picks today. All right. Before we get to the Lakers, uh, let, let's jump to Net Celtics, and then we could parlay this into the, the strangely much bigger news that came out earlier this morning with a, a major shakeup for the Celtics organizationally. But this was just a—I mean, it was—it was a double-digit win for the Brooklyn Nets. A, a game that never really felt like it was out of their control, but it, it did feel like they kind of breezed their way through this one. Um, you know, not a great Kevin Durant game. Uh, a fairly efficient 24 points for him, but. Uh, kind of floated through this one, especially in the first half. We did get a, a really nice game from James Harden, 34-10-10. and 10. Kyrie was fine with 25. Um, but Brooklyn took care of business at the end of the day, and you know now we officially have this Bucks-Nets matchup that I think everyone's looking forward to maybe more than any other series so far. But like I said with Boston, so early this morning, Brad Stevens is, I guess, technically stepping down as head coach or stepping up to take over um, a, a major role in the Celtics front office. Danny Ainge out in that capacity. Um, I I think we're going to learn a lot more about this over the next few days as, you know, the deep dives start to come out. But did it feel to you that Danny Ainge was pushed out? I I think in a lot of ways this was framed as kind of like something he'd been considering for a while. Uh, But then there's a report that he's, you know, seeking a similar job elsewhere. So um, to me, it felt like maybe there was an inkling from Ainge that he was thinking about a change and the Celtics kind of jumped at that opportunity to, I don't know, maybe use losing the series as as kind of the final straw, even though it's hard to blame Ainge. There's just a lot of moving pieces here.
2: Yeah. Wasn't Daryl Morey stepping down as the GM kind of framed in a similar way? Very similar. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to take some time off. I'm just not feeling it anymore. And then like, you know, psych (laughs) six hours later, he's the uh, GM of the 76ers. Yeah. This is a weird one. Um, It almost feels like Brad Stevens is failing upward. Uh, which happens a lot um, in a lot of different industries. But I don't know. I maybe he's just kind of sick of I I think after so many years, I don't know, man. It's 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 tough to say exactly what's going on here. Um, You know, maybe Brad Stevens lost the locker room. You know, the organization lost faith in Ainge. Just too many repeated playoff failures. And it's possible that this was, I mean, I I think it is within the realm of possibility that this was mostly mutual. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, I also don't know exactly. I mean, first of all, the fact that this is coming on the heels of losing to Brooklyn, um, you know, the, the deal, Ainge got basically famous for, you know, allegedly swindling the nets with the KG Paul Pierce deal. uh, And then it just comes around and ultimately backfires. It's, weirdly poetic um but i don't think he made any like massive mistakes or anything you know no. like the kemba walker contract is kind of a black mark at this point but like there are plenty of gms who've made way worse uh signings than that uh and and kind of crippled their franchise long term i don't even think gordon hayward was that big of a deal that was again bad luck he got hurt yeah. um jalen brown jason Tatum, that's as good as drafting as you can live as you can ask for uh, so yeah
1: I, I don't think it's fair to say that the Nets deal backfired, uh, although there's a pretty good Fire, chance that yeah. the Nets are somehow going to win a title before the Celtics. Uh, but that's kind of that's, what I mean. It's kind of a yeah. separate era, I guess, to be. Um, like, It's not like that trade somehow led to Kevin Durant deciding to sign there instead of the Knicks. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it certainly feels like they had this golden opportunity and, it, it, well, things have turned out fine. You know, like I was asked on the DK show this morning, you know, like it, what, what, you know, what, what are your expectations for Brad Stevens? Like, you know, it, is he going to hit the ground running? He doesn't have any experience. And my response was, you know, the, look, he's not taking over the 2012 Sacramento Kings. Like he's taking over a team that has two of the best under 25 players in the entire league. Like there are, what, 26 out of 30 GMs would probably rather have the Celtics job than the job they currently have. Uh, and you know, then you take into account the stability and he's obviously created a nice cachet in his eight years, which eight years, by the way, that is way longer than I thought. Um, I, it feels like he's only been there for like four or five in my mind for whatever reason, but, um, it, it's a really nice deal for Stevens. I mean, with, with Ainge to me, it kind of reminds me of like Mike McCarthy being pushed out in green Bay, <laughs> where it was like, there wasn't, there wasn't like one specific thing, you know, it wasn't like there was this hot other name they wanted. It was just like this thing's run its course, you know, we're, we're leaving on okay terms. Uh, you know, it's, it's been disappointing on the whole, but when you try to go through and pick out like, what are the major failures? It's actually really hard to find what those are. Um, you know, I guess you could say like of all the picks that they inherited in that Nets deal, they, they didn't really hit on any of the mid to late round ones, but you had like, how did they get Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum through that deal? So, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think, you know, you give, what do you give Ainge's tenure? You know what was he there for like almost 15 years, like a solid B plus. You got one title, yeah. you made one major trade that led directly to that title. You maybe held on to that core longer than you should have, and then you got bailed out by this, you know, godsend trade from Brooklyn that that kind of carries you to a new era. And even though Boston hasn't won another title since that 08 season, like. Has there been a time where it felt like they should have won and they didn't? Yeah, you know, like, if anything, I felt like they overachieved a little too early, and then those expectations got set too high when Tatum is going to the Eastern Conference Finals in his second year.
2: Yeah, I think the the Isaiah Thomas season, like,
1: yes. that was the oh, turning point. He,
2: uh, yeah, it reset their entire franchise. Um, you know, like you mentioned, the the framing of what to expect from them, um, just because like it was pretty. From what I remember, again, this is like eight years ago. I wasn't writing about the NBA for a living, but uh, it, it seemed like yeah, the Celtics are just going to rebuild. It's going to be a few years. Like they're just they're doing it, and then all of a sudden, it wasn't a rebuild anymore after like one season. You know, I mean, the only season the, the only season that Stevens missed the playoffs was his first season coaching, and since then, he's made the they've made the playoffs every year. They've been to three Eastern Conference Finals. Right. Um So also, I would give Brad Stevens' run like a B plus two. Like I'm, I'm yeah. with you on both age and Stevens. Um, I just think the expectations got out of control, uh, partially because of the Isaiah Thomas season, partially just because of the market, like East coast sports fandom out of control. I mean, both coasts, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think, I think that's fueled some of it and having like one young star, you know, I think that when you're a coastal team, when you're a big market that gets, that gets elevated to, a uh, it's just a level that's it creates unrealistic expectations. And I, I think like Jason Deggum is great. I would not be surprised if he ends up being a hall of famer. I think he's on a hall of fame trajectory already,
1: but Absolutely.
2: yeah, just the rest of the team is not great. And as far I, as, well, go uh, ahead. My, my last point, just as far as you mentioned, like does Brad Stevens hit the ground running? What well, does he do it with G uh, as a GM? They don't have that much flexibility really. Like next season, they're already $134 com- uh, $1 million committed on their books. Like there's no huge free agent signing. Like the biggest move they can make is like trading Marcus Smart. Um, mm-hmm. They're not going to trade Jalen Brown. They're not going to trade Tatum. No one's taking Kemba Walker. Maybe you trade Robert Williams, but he looks like a great piece. So yeah. I don't even know what there is for him to really even do right now.
1: Yeah, this felt like making a move for the sake of making a move, just showing you know, showing your fans or whoever you're trying to prove, like, look, we're doing something, you know, whether it's, whether it's ultimately going to make a difference, I don't know, but you know, you can't, you're not going to get rid of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Uh, That's, that's certainly not the solution. Um, I I think one thing that can't be overstated as well is, you know, right after that Celtics title run, you know, the, the big three forms like two years after that, and then the Warriors rise to prominence and then, you know, LeBron's back in Cleveland ruling the East, you know, basically for eight straight years um, and then, you know, now we have the nets, the, you know, the bucks, the emergence of the Sixers, like it, it's just kind of been a bad time to be a really good team instead of a great team. Whereas like this, this Celtics team as constructed the last few years probably goes to the finals. If you, if you're able to put them in a time machine and throw them in, you know, like the 2000s to 2010 era, when, you know, you could, you could win a finals with Kobe and Paul Gasol and like nobody else. Um, but like the bar has just been raised. You need to have an unbelievably great team to win the NBA finals right now, because there's so much talent in the league. And so much of that talent is concentrated among four or five teams that even though, even though like just having Tatum and Brown on your roster and, and locked up long-term, like normally that would be like the best situation possible for a GM to take over. But we have all these questions about this team because they only went to three Eastern conference finals. Yeah. Right.
2: Um, And again, yeah, they, there, there was going to be no year that they were supposed to win the NBA finals. Right. And I think, I mean, yeah, I, I think, you know, unfortunately last year may have been kind of their year. I mean, just based on what we saw from like the heat, you know, I think the Celtics could have uh, gone on a similar type of run, but I don't know. I, I'm i I'm interested to see what they're doing moving forward. But again, I don't know how many moves there really are to make currently.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, it's very possible, you know, from a lot of people around the Celtics who write and do podcasts, it, a lot of people seem to think this is it for Marcus Smart. And, you know, I, I could see that being the case. It, it's, but it's also not like you're going to swap Marcus Smart and bring in Kawhi Leonard and everything is solved. Like you're, you're probably going to bring in a player who has, you know, is also, a, you know, similarly flawed. Um, and Marcus Smart fittingly goes five of 17, one of 10 from three in what could be his final game uh, with the Boston Celtics. But again, I, I don't, I don't feel like this roster was just like slopped together and you're like, man, Danny Ainge did a terrible job. We need to get rid of him. It's just, you know, this team was hit about as bad as anybody with with COVID.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data
1: issues and obviously they didn't have Brown for this series like even taking one game and keeping this series relatively competitive when Jabari Parker is like your fourth leading scorer um, I I was pretty impressed with you know I guess the swan song for both Ainge and Brad Stevens as a coach
2: yeah I think I think they're both kind of going out on I mean it feels like a low note but I think I think once we're kind of removed from it Right. I think people will view this as it was actually more of a, a, you know, a good time to leave.
1: All right, let's do Lakers sons. You and I had a, a kind of a premonition. Hopefully that's not too strong of a word <laughs> to use that this was going to happen. And I will say like two minutes into the game, I was feeling good. You know, LeBron came out and was like sprinting up and down the court, which usually when he's doing that in the first minutes of a game, you know, he's calling for the ball on a rebound. Like I'm, I'm handling it at all times. Like that's usually a good sign. It looked like he kind of felt like he had it. And then after like five or six minutes of game time, realized that he didn't actually have it. And he ends up hitting six threes in this game. You know, he's nine of 19 from the field, 24 points in 32 minutes, um, played a, a pretty solid game individually. But I mean, and even though the Lakers were down, I think only eight at the end of the first quarter, if you watched the first quarter, especially the final seven or eight minutes, it was 100% clear that this game was over.
2: Yeah, Lakers proceeded to score 10 points in the second quarter. Mm. Um... Yeah, twenty two point deficit in the second quarter, ten to thirty-two. I um after the after the second half, I was like they should probably just put LeBron on a plane and send him back to LA. Yeah. There's no point in him coming back out for the third quarter, which he did because he ended up playing thirty two minutes. But yeah, I mean Kuzma, second on the team in scoring with fifteen points, barely efficient. Uh Schroeder did
1: not score, uh, off, only handing out one off. assist.
2: One, yeah, I mean, given was... given
1: the spot. At one of the worst playoff performances in recent memory. Oh, yeah. I thought he was going to have a good game. Unbelievably
2: um, bad. Players not named LeBron. 24% shooting from three. No yep. player aside from LeBron made multiple threes. Um, I also thought Chris Paul. So you look at LeBron's stat line 24 7, 5 in 32 minutes. You look at Chris Paul's stat line, 9.6 assists in 23 minutes. But I thought he played better than LeBron. I thought he yeah. outplayed LeBron in a way that
1: was like, like obvious. Um, Well, we've seen this from LeBron time and time again of like, all right, we're down 35. I need to salvage a respectable stat line. And he's the best in the business at doing that. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, without that, you know, it was, it was
2: just like from watching the two, the kind of command that Chris Paul has on the court with his son's team, LeBron Mm -hmm. just, I honestly, I mean, I can't remember the last time that I saw LeBron have that kind of command on the court, like this season. Um, yeah. In the, in the playoffs or in the playing games or anything like that. He just yep. doesn't like Chris Paul forces the defense to make more adjustments
1: than LeBron does right now. It's really bizarre. Part of it's on LeBron. Um, yeah. You know, I, I started seeing people doing the like, you know, end of an era tweets like, wow, we're watching, you know, we're watching the next <laughs> phase of LeBron's career right now. Like, okay. Before the ankle injury, he was having yet another just fantastic, like first team all NBA season. So I, I'm not ready to go there yet. I, I would bet on LeBron, I think the Lakers lose this series We, you know, the excuse train rolls out and, you know, we just kind of chalk it up to bad luck and injuries, whatever. But I, I think LeBron comes back next year and looks like LeBron. I don't, I don't think this is just the permanent version of LeBron, at least for one or two more years. I feel like I'm saying this on every podcast, but it, they cannot win games when these are the numbers from three Schroeder, 0 of 4, Kyle Kuzma, 1 of 5, Wes Matthews, 1 of 5, Alex Caruso, 1 of 4, Horton Tucker, 1 of 2, Macklemore, 0 of 2. Part of it, like you said, is, you know, the, you know LeBron can't get by people. You know, the defense isn't adjusting like they normally do against LeBron. I, maybe part of it is he's a step slow, but a much bigger part of it to me is that why would you adjust when you're not worried about any of these guys knocking down shots? I mean, I would say every, other than LeBron, every single Lakers player had a well below average game. Is, is that fair to say?
2: Uh, yeah. Yeah, they, um, they were not. Well, I mean,
1: Taylor Horton Tucker you know? Yeah. 11 rebounds in garbage time. I guess we want to get that 10 defensive rebounds. Sure. But yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. It's, it's just a failure in team building, like to not have a one single knockdown shooter on a roster that has LeBron James is it's appalling and you can get away with it when you're playing inferior opponents. But when your first round opponent is the Phoenix Suns, like I, I feel like the Lakers went into the series as if they were the two and the Suns were the seven and they could just kind of get by and, and feel it out. And, I don't think they were prepared to be playing a, like a conference finals caliber opponent this early. No, I, I, I don't think so.
2: Um, you know, they, the Lakers might've been able to survive pretty long. Had they been, had they been the one seed, um, you know, or even the two, like it had, they been seed, it, I guess properly, if that's a good way to phrase it, you know, if LeBron and AD yeah. were healthy. Um, but yeah, I, they, they are, they're not prepared to beat the Suns, And I, you know, it, it's kind of crazy how the series flipped with with the health of Anthony Davis and Chris Paul but i if if ad is i mean he if he's less than 100% if, if he does not play in game 6 i mean i think it's probably over i, I
1: would even, i I'm even even if he does i think it might be over Man, like the suns are the better team right now like with if you're not getting you know 2018 playoff lebron like what's what's a realistic expectation for davis like coming back with a, a hyperextended knee and a groin that's certainly not going to be 100 percent i mean it's its not like you can expect him to just come back and give you a 40 and 20 i know it's yeah he's got he's got a
2: ton of lower body injuries right and yeah. we, <laughs> you didn't even mention the achilles like the right. calf um yeah. so yeah i mean i think i think regardless i think i think this is over i think i'm picking this the suns yep. to, to close this one out
1: yeah, I think the Lakers are going to lose the series. I think the Clippers are going to go to the finals, which I mean, what a reversal <laughs> over like less I than know. a week span. Like I really think that's what's going to happen. You asked me last night uh, basically like halfway through the first quarter, is this team worse than LeBron's Lakers team 2 years ago, the year that he got hurt and and missed like the entire second half and they missed the playoffs? And then we took it a step further to say like last night's supporting cast without AD is that as bad of a team as he's ever had around him? And I I you know, I think you have to compare it to the 2018 team that had still had Kevin Love, who was you know struggling at that point, but uh, was was still Kevin Love and was a multi-time All Star and is going to be like a borderline Hall of Famer, I guess. Um, and then obviously the the early Cavs teams in in the 2000s, which I feel like I don't, I'm not quite as qualified to talk about the role players on the 06 Cavs, you know, when I just wasn't as like locked into watching them every single night as a middle schooler. But it, I mean, this was bad. This is really bad. And and one thing about the 2018 Cavs, like at least you had you had Jordan Clarkson, who was like not good at that point, but he was he was at least going to try to be good. And early on last night, like Coldwell, Pope and Schroeder and, and even West Matthews are passing up wide open three pointers like LeBron's driving and kicking. And it looks like they just they just didn't want any part of the ball. Like that was that was appalling to me. I mean, yeah, the 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 irony of the
2: 2018 team is while it was bad, aside from Kevin Love. They were the third best three point shooting team in the NBA. Right. They were also names. built
1: around LeBron. This team's not built with to, to complement LeBron. Right.
2: Um Yeah, they could yeah, you're right. They complimented LeBron. You had J.R. Smith, you had Corver, um, you know, uh you mentioned Clarkson. Like they, they had guys who were able to stand out there and hit threes and you could play the you could play five out, you know. Um without AD, I mean, the Lakers can play five out, but that requires either playing super small ball, which is not going to work against DeAndre Ayton. He's too right. good for that. Or you can play Mark Gasol, which is fine, but he also can't move laterally. So yeah. you're it's
1: it's going to be rough on defense uh, on a lot of different
2: points. Yeah. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just an overwhelmingly negative outcome for the Lakers, where once again, they outshot the Suns from three percentage wise. The Suns had more makes, but the Lakers were, were at 34 percent, Suns at 33. They're still out shooting Phoenix from three on the series in a series where the Lakers have it felt like has hit no threes. Uh, DeAndre Ayton takes three shots in 27 minutes. You know, you, you read Chris Paul's line like he was awesome, but, you know, nine point six assists. It's, it's not like he got red hot from three. Like once again, it, it Phoenix blew the doors off the Lakers by not even playing all that well um, in, in terms of shooting. Yeah, I mean, they shot 46, 33,
2: 71. That's not um, right most of the time in the playoffs, you are going to, if you, you're going to lose that game, um, yeah, or at least certainly it's certainly not to be going close. to win by 30. No, it's going to be a close game. You're going to lose if that's your uh, shooting percentage. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this is, this is bad for the Lakers. I mean, you know, I, I don't even know. The thing is just because it's LeBron and because it's the Lakers, I think people are really going to try to do the you know, is LeBron done? Are the Lakers frauds like the heat were kind of a thing? I just, I don't know. I mean, I think this is bad luck for them. I think it's the, again, the short layoff from the bubble. Um, yep. I don't, I, I think if they lose the series, I, I think, I think there are some things you can take away from the series in terms of, we need to just shuffle the deck of role players. Yes. Um, And that there are like 10 expendable players on this team. Other than that, um, which I guess is a major thing, but I don't think I don't think this is going to be a major indictment on like LeBron, AD, no, um, like Frank Vogel, anything like that.
1: I, I'd be lying if I said as I was laying in bed last night at like 12:30 a.m. like I wonder if I wonder if Portland would do AD for Lillard because you talk, <laughs> you talk like Lillard would be the ultimate number two for LeBron or any star, but yeah, I, I mean, as great as Davis is, and he was a huge reason why they won the title last year. And obviously, I don't think either team ultimately pulls the trigger on that deal. But it's like you're watching the Lakers just struggle to generate any offense. And you know, at this point in their careers, like LeBron and Davis are like kind of similar where like LeBron's not blowing by you for a layup. and and Davis rarely blows by anybody either. It's a lot of like go into contact and you, you're you're kind of hoping to to draw foul and finish. Like none of the, neither of those guys make things look very easy. Right now, and then you flip over and watch Lillard, and it's like, man, you put this guy alongside LeBron. I wonder what would happen.
2: I know. Yeah, I think—I mean, I I love the idea of AD and LeBron playing together. Obviously, it worked. They got a title, but it doesn't work in the same way if you aren't scared of LeBron dunking on you anymore. Uh well you're also not uh,
1: the other it works a lot better when Anthony Davis is hitting every jump shot. You know, you're not well, scared of Anthony Davis knocking down open threes cuz he's like a 28% three-point shooter this year. That's the other big thing. Yeah, I mean
2: you want both of them to take jump shots and Anthony Davis loves jump shots and LeBron just because of his age has to take more jump shots and that's been the whole weakness of LeBron's entire career is jump shooting. If you if he takes a jump shot, you won the possession. Um so Yeah, it's, um, I just, I, again, like I, some of this is, I don't know what kind of team you build around LeBron. Like if, like, like if we play the game that this is who LeBron is now, you know, like he's just going to kind of be more of like a floor general who doesn't, who like really, really picks his spots, uh, to drive to the basket and, and, you know, does a lot of post-ups like at that point, then who do you put around him? What kind of team goes around LeBron? But he's it like, almost feels like he should be more of like a Jokic. It should be more like yeah. a, a team that uh, Jokic is on. It should be constructed like Denver, where LeBron can just play that kind of a, a high post, right. three-point passing
1: offense. The answer is you need a dynamic primary ball handler, which the Lakers thought, I think, they were getting intruder. And, I mean, just a massive letdown that, that entire situation has been. But I, I think you said it a couple minutes ago. It's... I, you know, there's going to like if and when the Lakers lose this series, there's going to be a, a big referendum. I mean, am not going to name any names, but some prominent podcasters have already tried pulling that on the Lakers and the Heat. Um, and I, I think it's more I think it's more about the fact that they play deep into the bubble and not the fact that they were frauds in, in the bubble when every other team was in the same situation. But like I said earlier, I, I also don't think it's it's fair to close the book on LeBron right now. Because eight months ago and even maybe three months ago, he was still the consensus best player in the world. And I I don't, obviously the ankle injury, like if that's, if that's something that, you know, however, his body like regenerates, like if it just, if it just doesn't come back fully, obviously that's a major problem. But I I think the bigger issue is that he was forced to come back a little bit earlier than he wanted because the Lakers were so bad without him and AD that, you know, they were at risk of not making the playoffs at all. And, if we know anything about LeBron, it's that he is maniacal about his body. And I I think, you know, suffering a multi-month injury in the second half of the season, and then, you know, not really having control of your own timeline because your team needs you to ramp back up. Like to me, he just seems like a little out of sorts. Like I don't, it's not like he, like he had, he had an off the backboard dunk two games, two games ago, where his head was like over the rim. Like, I don't, I don't think he's like moved into this next era physically. I just think like his, the confluence of like his body and mind and coordination, like, Everything just seems a little bit off as opposed to him being like fully slowed down and and in this new phase of his career. Yeah,
2: and and one thing I mean watching the game, it was like the Suns basically just kind of had like they had it it looked like they were playing a box and one just like I, they weren't. But just in terms of how little respect the Suns defense was giving to Lakers shooters. You know, the, the the whoever was guarding LeBron was in front of him and then the other four Suns were kind of just on the edges of the paint. You know, they were kind of just on the four corners of the paint because they aren't scared of the shooters. And it's like LeBron knows that if he drives nothing, like he's going to just run into people like he can just drive and kick. But, um, yeah, I think I think it's a uh, I mean, th- there aren't I don't know who could uh, thrive in this scenario. Right. Like there are very few players other than LeBron, uh, maybe KD just because of his shooting.
1: Sure but I don't know how many guys would be, could thrive in this situation. Right. And again, LeBron had six threes in this game. So, I mean, I, I, he was doing what he could to spread the floor, but when, when the defense doesn't respect the other four guys out there at all, uh, there, there's just not a ton you can do. Uh, any thoughts on tonight's games or any series that we didn't cover before we get out of here?
2: Uh, no, no, no overarching thoughts. Um, I'm, you know, this, I think I am picking Washington tonight. Weirdly enough, okay. um, other cover than that, cover or straight up? No,
1: straight up. Okay, yeah. well, let's run through your picks quick, and then we'll then we'll end it there. So, Wizards, Sixers, you're going Wizards. You can just do straight up. Hawks at Knicks.
2: I I think that the Hawks are gonna close this one out. Um,
1: yeah. Okay, I'm with you there. Grizzlies at Jazz. Jazz. Yep, I like the Grizz to cover Jazz to win, and then Maps Clippers. Game five, that's the nightcap tonight. Nine o'clock start, central time on TNT.
2: I think this is going to be a great game, provided Doncic is healthy. Um, but I'm still going to take the Clippers. I think I think Porzingis, I don't want to say he's been exposed, but uh, it's <laughs> I, I no longer trust the supporting cast around Doncic, mm-hmm. I think. If he's 100% healthy, sure, they could win. But I need to see that first. So the fact that I haven't seen it
1: and the Clippers are at home makes me lean Clippers. All right, man. I love it. Good stuff. We'll talk soon.